Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Here's Ken Levine. Yes, it's me, back again for another podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I've got a great topic today. We're going to talk about Cheers and specifically... The final episode of Cheers was called One for the Road, and when it aired on May 20th, 1993, it was the second highest-rated series finale ever behind MASH. 42.4 million people watched that final episode. I watched it in Boston. Anyway, I am going to talk about the making of that show, the thought process that went into it, the night of the filming, the final scene, some trivia, and then the night it aired and the big event status that that finale was in the country. And I'm also going to talk about the disastrous Tonight Show appearance by the cast that followed It was legendary. Also, since I'm on the topic of Cheers, I'm going to talk about the theme song. Did you know that there is a full two-and-a-half-minute single version of that theme song done by Gary Portnoy? He sang it. He wrote it with uh, Judy Hart Angelo, and they tried to release it as a single, and it didn't do very well at all, but... It's a really cool song, and there's a lot of lyrics that you probably haven't heard. So a Cheers-related theme for the show today. Again, thanks for being here. Let's get it going. Hollywood and Levine. This is the story of the very last Cheers episode. It's 1993, season 11, and we knew about it midway through the season because that's when Ted announced that he was no longer going to do the show. And everyone figured, well, if Ted Danson isn't going to do the show, then it's pretty much over. Remember, there was a show in the 70s called Sanford and Son. And at one point, both Sanford, Red Fox, and DeMond Wilson, who played his son, decided to leave the show. But NBC renewed it anyway and changed it and called it the Sanford Arms. But we all used to joke that they basically just renewed the set. Well, anyway, Cheers was not going to go forward after Ted Danson had left. And like I said, we had some lead time, so we weren't 
you know, caught off guard, we had some time to plan what the ending was going to be. Well, the Charles brothers who created the show and wrote the pilot and a number of memorable episodes, by that time in the run, were basically just kind of overseeing it. We would send them outlines, we would send them drafts, and they would give us their notes. Well, once they knew that the show was ending, they came back and pretty much resumed their role as the full showrunners for the last five or six episodes. And they, of course, were going to write the finale, which they should. They were the best writers of Cheers ever from start to finish. So number of questions. The first question, the length of the show. Now, personally, I love when final episodes of a half-hour show are only a half-hour Uh, The great example of that was the final Mary Tyler Moore show. But since networks know that the final episode is going to be an event, they want it longer so they can sell more airtime at ridiculous rates. Remember the final MASH, which was 1983, I believe. That thing ran for two hours and got higher ratings than anything other than Super Bowls at the time. And so networks were able to charge Super Bowl-type prices to advertise on those finales. As a result, networks wanted you to go as long as possible. That was the case with Cheers. NBC wanted the finale to be an hour and a half, but for my money way too long. Going off on a tangent here for a second, uh, my partner David Isaacs and I created three shows that got on the air, but we never had a chance to have finales because they were all just canceled. And our third show was the Nancy Travis starrer, that's a word, almost perfect. And what we were going to do if we knew we had a last episode we were going to bring back all of the characters from our previous two shows, and then we would bring them in and wrap up all three of our shows at one time. But we never had that opportunity. Getting back to Cheers, however, the next big issue was what to do in that finale. And, of course, the obvious answer is bring back Diane, To have Shelley Long back on the final episode would be a great way to bookend the series. So the first thing we had to do was see if Shelley Long was agreeable to coming back, and happily she was. And then there is the question, and this received an awful lot of debate in the room, and it is still being debated. There's a lot of comments on my blog from time to time about this question of whether or not Sam and Diane should, at the end, get together and ride off into the sunset. And ultimately, the feeling was no. There was way too much baggage, way too much acrimony. They butted heads on just about everything. And our feeling ultimately, and by our, I'm saying the writing staff and primarily Glenn and Les Charles and Jim Burroughs, the feeling was that, you know, they were not going to ride off into the sunset together. They were just going to continue to make each other miserable. And the reality is we all felt that In our heart of hearts, 
that Sam and Diane would be happier apart than if they were together. Now, the other problem, though, with bringing back Diane is that you didn't want the Sam and Diane relationship to completely overshadow everything else in the show. I mean, Rebecca, Kirstie Alley, had been with the show actually longer than Shelley Long. And we didn't want to just kind of push her aside and push the other characters aside and say, okay, so the last six years was wheel spinning and now let's get to the real thing, Sam and Diane. We didn't want to do that. So we made the Sam and Diane story really just part of the episode. And we wanted to wrap up everyone else as well, including Kirstie Alley's character, Rebecca. And we thought that she should have a happy ending. So the idea was that she would meet a plumber because remember, she was always like such a gold digger, you know, going after Robin Colcord and everything that we thought, well, it would be kind of ironic that ultimately she settles down and is happy with just a very plain, ordinary, blue-collar guy. So we introduced him in an episode that was to air maybe two episodes before the finale so that that would be set up. And again, this is one of the advantages of having lead time. We filmed that episode, but when it was time to film the finale, that particular actor was not available. In fact, he was off shooting a movie and wasn't even in the country. And it seemed weird to recast a guy that you had just seen two weeks before. So they recast Tom Berenger in the part, and they went back and refilmed the original scenes from the previous episode so that there would be some continuity. We also had to come up with uh, what was going to happen to Norm and Cliff and Woody and Carla and everybody else. So then the Charles brothers went off to write the script. And the Charles brothers, the way they work, it's now the way David and I work, we learned a lot from the Charles brothers. We pretty much stole everything they ever did. But they would dictate their script to a writing assistant who would sit with a notepad and would take down shorthand. Again, another tangent. Season one, we ended with a two-parter. Remember the end of the two-parter is the first time that Sam and Diane kiss? Well, the Charles brothers wrote that two-parter, and they had a lot of themselves time to come in on the weekends and write those two scripts. So they came in one weekend, and they wrote part one, and they came in the second weekend, and on that Saturday, they just got into a groove, a real burst of energy, and they wrote the entire episode in one day. And as they're walking back to the car, Les Charles was thinking to himself, boy, we are pretty hot shit that, you know, we can now write a script in one day? Wow. Well, the script was typed up, and they came in Monday morning, and the typical length of a half-hour cheer script was around 35 to 36 pages. They typed up part two, and it was 16 pages. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to go back and rewrite. They were not able to write an entire episode in one day just yet. The entire thing was filmed all in one night, except for the final scene. 
The final scene, you might recall it was that beautiful scene in the bar late at night where everybody is smoking cigars and just reflecting. Well, that scene was actually filmed the week before following the filming of the last half-hour episode. And it was filmed without the audience because we really wanted to protect the finale and not have spoiler alerts everywhere. And these were the days before the Internet. And back then, it was a little bit easier to do. Well, certainly one way to protect yourself is to shoot it incognito. So the audience left after the filming of the episode, and then we assembled everybody and filmed that scene. And I think they did it twice, maybe three times, although I seem to recall that we just shot it twice. Now, here's the interesting thing about that final scene. The last couple of years of Cheers, the cast was very, very sloppy in terms of memorizing the scripts. In fact, they kind of took it as a challenge to memorize at the last minute. And as a result, the tapings for the last couple of seasons were just endless because actors would go up on every other line. And of course, they would go back and they would redo it. There would be pickups. And when it was all cobbled together, it was fine on the air. And by that point, the studio audiences were just so thrilled to be sitting at a Cheers filming that they really didn't care. We cared. In fact, David Isaacs and I wrote a number of episodes those last couple of seasons, and one of the perks for us was always being able to be on the floor the night of the filming and actually hear the sound of the audience laughter. The last couple of years, David and I just skipped it. It just got to be too frustrating. Every other line, okay, cut, wait, no, wait, let's go back. The script supervisor would have to run out to the middle of the stage and show them the script, and then they would go back and they would shoot it and get three more lines, and then somebody else would go up. So we basically wanted nothing to do with that. We stopped going to the filmings. Final scene which was a fairly lengthy scene, as I recall. It's probably a five, six-minute scene. They did it all perfectly. Everybody knew their lines, knew their blocking, knew everything. And those scenes came off just beautifully. But the point is, you know, when they want to memorize, (laughs) you know, when they want to put in that effort they can do it. Another thing about the final scene, remember there's a guy at the very end who walks down the steps and tries to get in the bar and you're looking through the window, you see Sam say, sorry, we're closed. Who was that guy? Well, that guy was named Bob Broder and he is an agent. He is the Charles Brothers agent and Jim Burroughs agent, and he was our agent as well at the time. And it was Bob who put the whole Cheers deal together. So we figured, well, it's kind of a a nice way to pay tribute that Bob Broder got a chance to be in the final episode. So it was all put together and edited 
And now it was time to air it. For you trivia buffs, the finale aired on May 20th, 1993. We went to Boston to watch it. That Cheers bar that you see on television, it's now called Cheers, but it was originally called the Bull and Finch and is owned by a gentleman named Tom Kershaw. No relation to Clayton Kershaw, by the way. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's dad, I know I'm going off on another tangent, but you know that Clayton Kershaw's dad was a jingle singer in Dallas and sang all of those jingles that you heard on your radio stations for years and years and years. That was Clayton's dad, but Tom Kershaw is somebody else, and he owned that entire building, not just the bar downstairs, but upstairs there were lounges and libraries. And the final airing, as we mentioned, that was May 20th, 1993, well, it became a national event, which was very different from the premiere of Cheers back on September 30th, 1982, For that one, the cast and the writers had like a modest viewing party in the back room at a restaurant called Chasen's. We ate chicken pies, we watched the show, and we left. That was it. But for the finale, wow, that was really something. Well, the festivities began around 7, and thousands of people gathered outside the building and watched the show on two giant Jumbotron TV screens that were set up for the event because the Cheers Bar is on the Boston Commons. So there were these two giant Jumbotron TV screens. My guess is one or both of them uh, are now uh, in Donald Trump's house. But it rained earlier in the day, and even the threat of more rain did not deter the crowds. At most, there were like some drizzles that night, but no one was seriously electrocuted. And there were something like 20,000 people that came out to watch the show on the Jumbotron boards. We were not allowed downstairs in the actual bar. We all assembled at like 7 o'clock and the show aired at 9. We all assembled for drinks and dinner, but... The bar itself was being prepared, for those of you who saw the show that night and might remember, after the show, which ended at around 11-something, then came the Tonight Show live from the Cheers bar, and the cast were the guests. Well, that's part of the story, too. But the place was packed We had uh, dinner with uh, Wade Boggs was there. Uh, I'm standing in the buffet line right behind Governor Dukakis. Bob Costas was there, and I knew Bob from my baseball days, and he knew so few people there that he actually even hung around me. But it was very fun and very festive, and then around 8.45, We all went upstairs to various rooms to watch the finale. The cast went into a small lounge, and it was just the cast and their significant others. And there was another small lounge where 
I sat with the CEO of General Electric, Bob Wright, and the president of NBC, Warren Littlefield, and a few other writers, and uh, that was my little (laughs) viewing party. I was trying to get uh, Bob Wright, by the way, to let me host the Olympics, but that really didn't work out too well. So the show aired, and it was so bizarre because every time there would be a big joke, you could hear thousands of people laughing outside the window. And you just wonder, where were these people at the Aftermath premiere? So as the show unfolded, the realization began to sink in that Cheers was really coming to an end. I mean, it really began to hit us. 11 years of dedicated, talented people pouring their hearts into one project, 275 episodes, all the retakes and rewrites, and now all that was going to be left would be reruns and, and residuals. So the show ended at 11. And the next half hour was just an emotional tsunami. Everybody was hugging and crying and doing an awful lot of drinking. We were all completely wrecked. And at the very height of this, at about 11.20, representative from The Tonight Show popped her head in and said, okay, we're ready. And so the cast, in no condition to face anybody, much less 40 million people, dutifully trooped downstairs to do the live show. Us non-celeb types just hung back and watched on TV in horror. Oh my God, what a fucking train wreck that was. But in fairness, again, they should not be held accountable for anything they said or did. And I also believe that Jay Leno, who had just taken over The Tonight Show prior to that, was very inexperienced with running a show like that. And I think it showed. I think had David Letterman handled that finale, it would have been a a whole lot better. Anyway, the actors returned and they were just so blitzed and they didn't realize just what an abortion that show was. I think you can go on YouTube. I, I think it is available. Oh my God. I shudder just thinking about it. Really, we were sitting upstairs watching this thing and you talk about watching a train wreck in progress in slow motion. All of us were going, oh, my God. Anyway, a couple of final memories. During that emotional half hour between 11 and 11.30, the thousands of fans who were in the commons remained, and they were just cheering. And at one point, Ted Danson leaned out the window and waved. And, of course, they went nuts. So as a goof, I joined them. I I said, uh, you you know, Ted, as I'm standing next to him waving, I said, you know, I have a feeling that you're the one that they're waving at. And he said, yeah, but in a year from now, you'll be working, which I thought, wow. Obviously, Ted uh, scraped together one or two jobs since that night. My second memory is walking home. And remember I told you earlier about uh, Les Charles walking to his car when he thought he had written an entire episode in one day? Well, We call that the prince of the city theory, you know? And it's like this. The minute you think you are hot shit, something will come along to cut you down to size. It never fails. So anyway, it's 2 a.m. 
and I'm walking back to the hotel. It's a bit chilly. I'm wearing a trench coat to protect myself from any more rain, and I'm kind of reflecting on the night and how this little show I've been involved with had become a national phenomenon. You know, and I allowed myself to think that uh, I must be a pretty damn good writer to be a part of it. And just at that moment, a passing truck roared through a big puddle, and I got completely drenched. I mean, just sopping wet, soaked to the bone, and I had to laugh. Hail to thee, Prince of the City. I'm one of those people who loves wine but knows nothing about it. You know, I'll be at a restaurant and they'll come and they'll ask me what I want and I say, I like my wine fresh. That's as good as I can do. Uh, I don't know anything about it, but I don't need to anymore because of Wink. That is W-I-N-C. And Wink is a wine club where delicious bottles of wine from all over the world, are delivered right to my door. I work with them. There is a questionnaire. I have told them the kinds of things that I like. And based on that, they've been able to figure out wine that's really delicious and perfect for me. I have no idea what it is, uh, how fruity, how woodsy. It's just good. It tastes really, really good. It's a tremendous idea, and it's something that I want to introduce you to with a special introductory offer. So $22 off your first order, and all you got to do is go to wink.com slash Hollywood. Once again, that's W-I-N-C. Also, if you get four bottles or more, they're going to throw in the shipping free as well. So, again, that is wink.com slash Hollywood. And without being pretentious, you can be drinking delicious wine tonight. Hollywood and the Vine. Everybody loves the Cheers theme. And so you would think if they made a full record of it, that it would be a hit. You know, there are a lot of hit records based on TV themes. Welcome back, Cotter, Hawaii Five-O, Mission Impossible, on and on and on. But when they tried with Cheers, the theme song that was written by Gary Portnoy and Judy Hart Angelo and sung by Gary Portnoy was a bomb. New lyrics were added, and the song grew from about a minute to about two and a half. How many of you have actually heard the long version? I guess in the old days we would say the album version of the Cheers theme. Well, here it is. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? nights when you've got no lights the check is in the mail and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail and your third fiance didn't show sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came you want to be where you See, our troubles are all the same You want to be where everybody knows your name No letter bed, no 
Mr. Coffee's dead. The morning's looking bright. Morning's looking bright. And your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write. And your husband wants to be a girl. Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody knows your name. This is Hollywood in the Vine. Okay, it is closing time. Thanks so much for listening to the Cheers-themed podcast this week. My thanks to Adam and Susie Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. And as always, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do. And I would sure appreciate a five-star review. That helps. I keep telling you it helps. And I keep telling you I have no idea why. Anyway, back next week with more. Thanks so much for listening to... Hollywood and the Vine. Why? Why? If you why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.